You got to chill. Chill, chill. Ooh. Uh. I see the red light uh-huh. Yeah. Can you can you hear uh. the music? Uh-huh. Yeah. What? We vibing right uh-huh. now too. Yeah. Right. What's up, folks? Can you hear me? I can hear you loud. On the on the, on the mic. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. What All about right. now? Can you? You can hear that. Okay. There we go. What was the problem? <laughs> <laughs> was the problem? Why wasn't I hearing it before? Was it me? No, I didn't press a button over here. Oh. What's up, folks? Welcome back yes, to sir. another episode of the I Got Sense podcast. Ta-da. From our remote location from LC Gundo. Yeah, from the remote location for real. I feel like I'm yelling. I'm usually in the studio just all hype. Now I feel like I gotta kinda compose myself a little bit more. But it's a beautiful day, man. I'm happy to be back here. Happy to be with my guy Shyon. It's been a minute since we got together to talk and catch up. Lots happened over the last what, it's been a few weeks since we last seen each other. Yeah, man. You know, I've been busy. Yeah, you're going I mean, through a, a very transitional phase right yeah, now. Moving out to Vegas. Moving into the largest state out there. Can't um, wait to see it in person. Y'all call it in the state. <laughs> <laughs> moving, moving out to Vegas. Got a kid graduating in uh, Atlanta. There you go. Another kid uh, getting selected to go to the National Conference in uh, Oregon. Man. Clap it up for all of them. All over the place, man. Shout out to the youngins doing what they need to be doing and doing what they supposed to be doing, you heard. And expanding the business in Phoenix out to Austin, Texas, too. We were just talking about that. I'm going to have to conjure up some funds to see if I can parlay into that one. (laughs) Man. Yeah, it's been a very busy month, but it's all good stuff. These are what we call rich people problems. Hey, there it is there. I I don't know if I shared with you. I was talking to one of my entrepreneur buddies and I mentioned our concept of like good stresses and bad stress. And I was like, these are all good stresses to have. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that don't sit well with me. I was like, why not? And he was like, well, because when you say stress, it has like a negative connotation. I was like, okay, elaborate. So he was like, how I view these moments is that I'm going through something that I'm actually enjoying and I'm enduring it. So it's a very passionate moment. So I'm going through passionate moments. And I was like, Hmm. It's a unique way to look at it. I'm going to start trying that out. That, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm going to start trying that in out. In his passionate moments, does he have a lot of money at stake and other folks are constantly <laughs> trying to take it out of his pockets? Absolutely. Because that ain't passion right there. That's stress. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have helped him redefine yeah. what he going through. Well, shoot, before too long, you know, we'll sit down and have him on an episode of the special presentation that we got for our patreon viewers as oh, well yeah. as our listening audience yeah so you think he'll do an interview with us over on patreon oh absolutely okay. absolutely absolutely that's a good thing then but but aside from the transition that you're going through right now how you feeling oh i'm feeling good man uh other than um because i'm going through the transition and i'm on the move a whole lot more than i'm used to um i haven't been uh subscribing to my routine mm-hmm. so i haven't been eating good i've been <laughs> I, I mean the food been good but it's not it's been way. tasting good but it ain't yeah, been it's good been for tasting you. good it, it's not the uh uh the routine nutritional choice yeah. that i should be making <laughs> <laughs> and um i haven't been doing my walks three times a week oh snap 
But uh, uh, so Sky Girl and I, we're supposed to head out from uh, here in El Segundo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're supposed to head out tonight, uh, sometimes after 10 p.m. And by the time I land in Vegas. You're going to walk three miles. I'm going to be back on my normal regiment. There it is tomorrow. there. There it is there. So if y'all hear a little beep of sound, that's coming from our discreet location out here. But, um, man, I have a huge announcement to make. Those of you who already know me personally and who may follow me on social media, your boy just got engaged. What a, what a, congratulations. <laughs> How does that new life feel for you? Oh, man. Is it if, passionate or is it stressful? <laughs> 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 Which one is it? I see what you did there. <laughs> no, nah, man, I, honestly, it's, it's blessed. I, I, I would say it would be stressful if I was still paying for the ring but i made sure i put enough aside to pay it right. on and off and, yeah, that, and make that investment so. that sounds like a uh, i got sense financial foundation hey i learned from that. the best of them across so, from it now you know what i'm saying i learned a little something so you uh made sure you uh got your money in order and did the sacrifices and set it aside and you went ahead and paid for it, and that's not a debt you carrying, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing, ain't it? It is. It <laughs> is. I was just waiting for the replenishing moment to come oh, in, it? which is, is, is oh, here. Yeah, but, uh, you know, come. waiting yeah. on a couple of checks to come through oh, and yeah, whatnot. Man, now you'll get that back a million fold. Oh, absolutely. Me. Absolutely. I think the most stressful part about it is just the family and friends talking about when's the wedding. Like, we ain't just proposed less than a week ago. Yeah. I, you, <laughs> you know, I was one of the ones you invited via Zoom. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he he pretty hyped and confident on the video. <laughs> but I'm starting to look through that. He look a tad bit nervous to me. He trying he trying to overcome the nervousness with all his hypeness. Hey, <laughs> you I, saw you read through that, huh? I saw it, man. Saw it through I, it like a clear window. I was waiting for a couple of sweat bees to form on your forehead and nose. <laughs> oh, it was there. It was there. Man, but yeah, it was a great time, man. I definitely appreciate you for tuning in and being there to support your boy. But um, man, uh, enough about what we got going on, y'all. We excited to be here and, and talk some shop with you guys. We got a great episode today. We did leave you guys on a bit of a heavy note last episode. Um, that was deep. Yeah, it was a little deep. We gonna get deep today too. I was trying to brace him for it, but man, yeah, we gonna get deeper. We gonna get we gonna deeper. get deep this episode <laughs> and maybe another episode. Yeah, next week we might talk more about investing and the money game and the mindset, or we might get a little deeper and talk about the mindset, the habits, and the programming to yeah. get you to the point of being able to. But invest all of that stuff. still ties back to the money and the investing part. Because One thousand percent. You know, if you don't have the right mindset, then you're never going to get to the money and then get to the investments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my whole mantra is, uh, you know, managing your money is, uh, what, 80 percent of the battle behavior yep. and only 20 percent knowledge. So yep. the behavior piece that we're talking about in this episode that we got heavy on the last episode that we're going to probably get a little deep on on the episode after this one here, it still ties back to managing your money mm -hmm. and investing because at the end of the day, it's the behavior things that are preventing us from doing the things that we know we should be doing. And that's only 20 percent of the game there. Right. It's very simple. More money should be coming in than going out, 
and you should be saving and have a little emergency set aside for when life happens. Absolutely. And then you should be getting a financial education so that you know how to go invest via planting seeds so that those seeds grow and start yielding you results. Make you a tropical rainforest. Exactly. It's very <laughs> simple. But even though we know it's very simple, um, we just have a difficult time doing it because we can't get our mind wrapped around it. And that's no different than me knowing that I should make better nutritional choices, <laughs> knowing that I shouldn't eat after 6 p.m., right. knowing that I should be getting out exercising at least three times a week and doing at least 30 to 45 minutes of cardio. I know all of this stuff. I've known all of this stuff since, uh, you know, being 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. But here I am, 53, <laughs> and I'm sitting down doing all the bad things. So it's my behavior yeah. that's blocking me from being in the optimal uh, physical shape and, and and that's the same thing when it comes down to managing your money and investing uh, 80% of it is behavior so we want to talk about these behavior things and take a look closer at what we can do and what we have control of and how we can change for the better to get to where we want to be absolutely and that's a great segue into today's topic speaking of control we as a people do not own and control the industries that we dominate. And that's sad. It really is. <laughs> Just imagine if we own the NFL. My goodness. It'd be <laughs> it would be a it would be a much more lively experience, I tell you that yeah, much. Absolutely. Just but and that's just <laughs> one example. You yeah. know, that's just uh one sport within the sport entertainment industry. You mm -hmm. still got the NBA, you got the major leagues, um, that's just sports, but, you know, there's a plethora of other industries that we can take a look at where we are the most popular people in it. Mm -hmm. We help generate most of the revenue and sales from it, um, but we're only employees in it. We don't right. have any ownership in it, and um, I think that um, contributes a lot to um, this here wealth gap you, that we tend to see everyone excuse me, bring up and want to make a talking point when it comes to race relations. Just so, about everything I see um, in the media nowadays uh, when it comes down to investing yeah. and black people, um, all of all my peers, um, and, uh, you know, uh, just uh, uh, social media personalities and prominent people that have a platform, they often want to bring up the wealth gap mm -hmm. and they attribute that wealth gap only to slavery and, you know, discrimination and all of those types of things. They don't really point to the other factors that contribute to that. And I think if we uh, spend a little bit of time talking about how we could better position ourselves to control some of the industries that we dominate, maybe that would help cut down that wealth gap. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we could dive right into the top industries that we perform in. Number one, man, the food industry. Food industry. Man, black <laughs> folks love some seafood, don't we? Hey, I was just in New Orleans, <laughs> what, last month? Man. Man, oh man, when that food was fire. Crab boils, mm. uh, shrimp. Fried foods, soul food, barbecue, every weekend. seafood. Why is it that we don't own some of the, and, and And we're not saying... No ownership at all because we know in every little city, every town, there is a soul food spot. Right. 
there is a uh, we buy, <laughs> you know, you buy, we fry spot. Right. Yeah, we own those little spots, but why don't we actually own and control the seafood industry? Or the distribution centers, grocery stores. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you take a look at that and if we were to focus on maybe having some type of distribution, even if it was like, I think at one point in time I met with the group back in New Orleans, but this was like in the uh, maybe around 2009, 2010, they mm-hmm. were talking about putting together an investment group to uh, set up their own shrimp and um, catfish farm where you could actually raise and breed um, the shrimp and catfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they brought me in to consult on that. And, um, you know, I did my little part, but at the end of the day, um, when it came down to it, it was a lot of infighting over who going to be CEO and who going to be CFO. And I want my sister to be this. And, yeah. uh, you know, who going to watch over the money and know I want this and I want this here. And so we let a lot of those things get in the way. Mm. Um, but I think like just with this here food industry alone, when you take a look at it, imagine if we controlled and distributed a lot of the seafood around the country. Um, to our communities alone, how much more wealth we would be generating for families. Yeah, I can definitely just envision a lot more wealth for black, excuse me, for black families. But I could also see a limited amount of food deserts. You know how they talk Mm -hmm. about food deserts in like South Los Angeles and and areas like that. I could see more uh, good, healthier food circulating through these mm-hmm. communities, aside from just the fast food joints and 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 those type of ordeals. So I, yeah, I agree with you. I definitely could see. And, and, I could see the other side of the fence if we ran the food industry. Yeah, we, but we would have to still broaden our perspectives, also, because when we take a look at um, the food industry alone, like mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you you do own the soul food spot. But right. when you look at the soul food spot, um, you're, you're overcharging everyone. Um, typically, the establishment you have, um, you can only afford, afford a size to uh, accommodate, you know, maybe Monday through Thursday. But when you get to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's a line wrapped around the building. Right. A whole bunch of yelling and screaming and cussing, a whole bunch of frustration <laughs> because you're, you've been waiting for an hour and a half. Um, you know, the customer service is not on point, um, you know, things like that. Um, I, I look at, uh, even on social media, um, I take a look at it and I think it's, uh, what's the, uh, trick daddy. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, he, uh, does a lot of social media, uh, videos about cooking food and prepping food. Um, and he uses that platform to sell his seasoning. Um, but when you take a look at the season, is Trick that, Daddy got season? I ain't know that. Some oh, you shoot. know, and Sky Girl has told me like four or five times that she want me to order some. <laughs> I haven't really ordered any because yeah. uh, I looked it up, and uh, when I look at uh, all the ingredients, and I'm like, this shit gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, huh? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want none of this here stuff. This, right. This instant headache, instant <laughs> blood pressure. But, uh, so, yeah, we, we have to broaden our perspective, uh, even um, when we look at the industries and we try to make some inroads to try not get ownership in there. We have to also look out for the greater good and have some social responsibility that comes along with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is not discrediting those restaurants and dish, uh, 
companies that are providing healthier alternatives within the black community for our people and right. by our people. Uh, we're more so looking at the bigger picture, like, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, like, okay, shoot, we might have someone that provides a healthy alternative for beans instead of canned beans, mm -hmm. but where are they allowing their products to be sold at? We don't really have too many black owned distribution centers for food. We don't have too right. many black owned grocery stores or we don't have a black Amazon to my knowledge. Um, and I, it just seems to me that, um, and I don't want to be sound negative here, um, but it seems like there's a whole lot of talk. Yeah. Um, I could, I could uh, uh, reference uh, like Killer Mike. He's been spending the last five or six years talking about learning how to grow your own food, mm -hmm. have your own garden and everything, growing fresh, fresh vegetables and all of those types of things. Right. But a lot of that is just talk. Where's the action that goes behind that kind of like Jay-Z said when um, everyone was mad at him for mm -hmm. partnering with the NFL. He's like, okay, we done protested and marched enough. What's next? Yeah. And, we need to get in these rooms and get yeah, in positions of power to exactly. enact change. And I think that's uh, some of the problems that we have with uh, not owning and controlling the industries that we dominate mm -hmm. because we haven't gotten to the what's next we yeah. haven't put a plan of action together to go out and execute for us to actually start getting some ownership we're only talking about it and it makes good sound bites for social media for radio for talk shows and everything to talk about getting a black owned bank and to talk about you know growing your own gardens in the cities and doing all this here but that's just talk who's doing anything about it right absolutely and shoot, at this point, this would be a good time to go on ahead and get your little sister, little brother. Go on ahead and get your little niece, your little nephew, your cousins, anybody younger, the next generation. Have them sit down and listen to this episode with you because we're going to talk about a lot of different industries where yeah. we're not owners in. And this could inspire them to start getting their little minds churning and figuring out solutions to these areas of uh, improvement that we're discussing today. Yeah, absolutely. So food is one of the main ones that um, I know for a fact I can't. Um, readily talk about any one prominent black person or any recognizable name that actually has any relevant ownership Yeah, as far as distribution um, of the necessary foods that we know we're going to eat. Right. All right, let's move on to number two. All right. Number two. Man, the music industry. You got the shell, shell, shell. Uh-huh, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we we've seen progress in the music industry. Absolutely. Uh, uh with my main man uh Master P leading the way. Yes, sir. Um so P was one of the very first ones to say, "You know what? <laughs> I ain't just trying to be in the show. I'm trying to own the show." Right. And uh he led the way in the 90s with uh you know no no limits. limit records. And he's like, "No, you know what? Uh I'm not trying to pay $50,000 um to go talk to the lawyer over here." for him to set me up a distribution deal for the distribution companies to take 80% of my money from me. I'm trying to do my own distribution. And there's a video or a documentary out there where uh, Master P actually said he went to P. Diddy and a couple other guys because he was like, hey, this guy's only making one phone call, but he telling five and six of us we each got to pay him 50000 to make yeah. that one phone call. We can cut him out of the picture altogether. Or we could get on the phone and say, hey, we know you talking to him, me, them, everybody here. 
we ain't each trying to pay you 50000 Collectively, we know you only going to make one phone call to right. get us all the same deal. Why don't you just go ahead and take 90000 and represent all of us? And right. if you're not trying to do that, you know what? We'll just go to somebody else that we'll do that. So that type of mindset that we've seen from Master P in the music industry and be a trailblazer saying, you know, I just don't want to be in the show. I want to own the show. I mm-hmm. want to own my rights and everything. Master P went out and did his own type of distribution deal, or he got a better shake on it so that he could have uh, more leverage and ultimately earn more money from his music and his talents um, out there with no limit of uh, music. And we saw that. And from Master P, we also seen, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Dre come along, mm-hmm. kind of cut better deals. We've seen Diddy. Um, go out and kind of start doing his thing. So we see a little bit of growth in the music industry. And with these here younger cats now, with all the technology available, and now you being able to, um, you know, produce your own music right off the iPhone, we're seeing a lot of the younger rappers now have more say-so and control over that music, and we're seeing that. So we're seeing some growth in the music industry, but still, when you take a look at the big picture, we have a bunch of 80-year-old, white Jewish men and their families passing down, you know, masters of all the hip hop rappers and everything. And their grandkids, grandkids still making millions and millions of dollars because they own the whole industry. Right. And we want to see that change. You might be more familiar with the uh, hip hop industry than I am. <laughs> I'm old school. I, I, I fell off after uh Eric being Rakim. <laughs> after after Eric being Rakim, I don't know a whole lot about the industry because I was uh, busy in, 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 in the books and trying to cut my own uh, way through the world as an accountant. Well, I can add to what you're what you've expressed so far. <clears throat> um I would say that the music industry is one of the industries where we're the top performers, but we're starting to be more of the uh, people in control to an extent I don't think we have a full hand Or grasp over the music industry yet But there's definitely been some um, Significant Figures from our culture that Are getting their hands in the pot And it starts back even in the what Late 80s early 90s With Def Jam you know you had Russell Simmons um, I think he was like one of the Pioneering uh, black owners of a record label. Uh, I think as we transition into today's day and age, though, a lot of the record labels are tending to diminish and streaming platforms are becoming like the new record label. So uh-huh. when we talk about ownership, we don't have any artists or top performing acts within the music industry, to my knowledge, that own a streaming platform aside from Jay-Z with Tidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that's still something that's having to be navigated through and, and figured out. And getting a lot of pushback from the, the culture in our community as well because yeah. the way he's structured and the way he said he is going to have exclusive rights and you either can be on his platform or not be there at all. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pushback from that perspective. But, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. But I would rather our situation as a whole, as a race of people, be one where we have that kind of uh, a controversy that, jay-z is facing with title absolutely as opposed to what we see with the bismarckies the yeah. dmx's some of the great legends that have recently passed away yeah. but 
when you take it the financial take a look at the financial side of it, they really didn't even get a fraction of what they should have. Yeah. Um, uh, when it comes down to wealth and uh, what they were able to pass on as a legacy to their family and their kids. And if there's any musicians out there, hip hop artists, shoot, follow the model that Nipsey Hussle was doing. Follow the model that Russ mm-hmm. has done. Russ isn't a black rapper, but brother definitely knows how to structure his situation so he can become an independent entrepreneur hip-hop artist and now he's 100 percent ownership 100 percent distribution 100 percent everything granted it comes with a little little bit more work but if you structure your system the right way you could benefit and profit and affect change for other people as well yeah and, and, and it and and once again this comes from a mindset standpoint because most of the young artists out there, they get to that fork in the road where you have the major label basically say, hey, we're going to front you 500000 You deliver us four or five albums, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Or you can keep doing it yourself in the studio and try to get your own, uh, you know, come up that way. But you're probably going to be struggling for another 5, 10, 15 years. You may never get on. Right. And that's got to be very difficult for some of these kids that are – not even uh, 20 yet, that are real young in the game, and you come to them with a $500,000 check and say you have um, unlimited access to the studio, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that is very difficult to turn down. Um, but like Master P has said in a lot of his films, even like LeBron James said, when uh, Nike came to him, um, to give him uh, uh, what what a hundred hundred million dollar deal when he mm-hmm. was still in high school, hey, if these folks here barely know me and they came and offered me this here kind of money, imagine what I'm really worth. And yeah. that's where you really have to have a stronghold. You probably have to have a good support system around you, as well as the right type of mentality to say I'm gonna um, go the uh, delayed gratification route and not sign all my rights away for what seems like a lot of money right now. Right. But ultimately you end up with uh, no control, no say so, no equity. And I think one of the uh, best case studies for this here would be the whole story of TLC. Yeah. Where they There's was, a lot of <laughs> a lot of stories out there like theirs, yeah. but that's mm-hmm. definitely a good example. But that goes back to, uh, you know, we dominate the industry. We are very popular, um, selling globally, um, known worldwide, but we have no ownership. And when you cut up the pie, we're not even getting crumbs out of it. Right. Well, let's move on to the number three spot. We got sports. Oh, yeah. And I just mentioned uh, Leroy. Yeah. Um, yep. Man. And by the way, we ran across the street from Leroy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we can look out the door right here and wave at Leroy right here in El Segundo. <laughs> but uh, sports, that's another thing. And I think we kind of opened up uh, talking about this here and, and mentioning uh, Jay-Z partnering with the NFL. And, and even though he got a lot of pushback and uh, half the culture – um, disagree with him. Um, I think uh, when we look at this past uh, Super Bowl, mm-hmm. just about everybody in the culture was happy with the Super Bowl <clears throat> halftime show. Yeah, did you get a chance? to Oh, see I that? enjoyed every second of it. I didn't see any. Yeah, Snoop Dogg on stage, sea walking. <laughs> yeah, Fifty Cent, Chunky Self, imitating the in the club video. But what? But that was a direct result from Jay Z being Absolutely. involved. He was able to broker. His uh his notoriety 
and uh, his status in hip hop to get those acts there to actually perform and put that halftime show together. And uh, from what I understand, um, arguably the greatest halftime Super Bowl show ever. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But that 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 goes back to moving towards being able to own and control yeah. the industries we dominate. As much as, uh, you know, mainstream said they didn't like the halftime Super Bowl show, as much as the complaints we got from that, we know for a fact that hip-hop has taken the whole world by storm. Yeah. We dominate that industry uh, just with our creativity and pushing the envelope to bigger and better every time up. And uh, we definitely... Uh, uh, need to uh, start looking at those types of blueprints that the Jay-Z's, the Master P's, the Diddy's are using to go out and broker those deals so that we have some ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when it comes to sports, um, a lot of people are complaining now because from year to year now, you see the major superstars, um, the A-list players, they're demanding contract changes every year. <laughs> In the middle of the season, they're demanding that they be traded. They're dictating how many games they play now. And um, as much as people um, hate on uh, LeBron James and uh, um, they, they they make the argument all the time that he's not half as good as Michael Jordan and uh, he couldn't win a championship by himself and all these things, the one, rate, the one reason I've always defended LeBron James was he was the first – and I mean the very first in professional sports to come in and not just think it, but say it and say it directly to ownership that without me, you don't have a product. Right. And I am going to take a damn seat at the table and I'm going to tell you how this here thing going to go. Right. And if you don't want to do it my way, then good luck without me being involved. <laughs> and I think that's the approach that makes him one of the greatest athletes of all time. Because when you start talking about just sports alone, you can argue that MJ is the greatest. But mm-hmm. what did MJ do for the culture? What did he do for the other players coming behind him? Even when uh, kids were getting killed over his uh, Air Jordans uh, early on, you know what he said? The few things that he did say he basically said, well, Republicans and white people were Air Jordans too, so I don't I don't have nothing to do with our young black kids getting killed out there. That's what I attribute to his legacy, not his Air Jordans, not him winning six championships. So when I get in a debate or if I talk about anything of uh, comparison Jordan to LeBron James, LeBron James wins hands down because not only what he's done on the court, but what he's done off the court, what he's done as a family man, and the blueprint that he's given all these other athletes that have come behind him of how to take more control over their careers and be able to sit down and leverage their notoriety and their superstar status to say, no, I'm going to have more ownership. I'm not going to sign a long-term deal because I know a new TV deal is coming up in two years, and I'm just going to go year from year now because when that new TV deal comes up, I want to look at the new numbers, and then I want to get paid based on what the new deal is going to say and how much all the owners and all the network is going to be paying out. So uh, definitely I think LeBron James has been um, the epitome of a, a blueprint 
um, in the sport industries of the way these young black professionals um, should be uh, moving forward when it comes to the NBA and the NFL, especially and some of the other sports out there as well. To add to LeBron James's legacy, I believe he's the first and only billionaire basketball player that is actively Active, playing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that's that's from his approach. And he he didn't start it uh, once he won championships. He came into the league. Right. He uh, like like we talked about earlier. Uh, Nike came to him before he even signed. Yeah. With the NBA and offered him an endorsement. I remember deal. Sports Illustrated. Like, he he was on the cover he's in like, high school. No, nah, I passed because if you offer me this much now, I know I'm worth a whole lot more. And then he got into the league, and then he hired him a traditional agent. But he told his agent on day one, look, I'm hiring you for these first four years. But a part of me hiring you is I'm going to also get my good friend right here, and he's going to shadow you. Mm-hmm. You're going to be his mentor whether you like it or not. He's going to do what he needs to do to become an NBA agent, and he's going to become an agent, and he's going to ultimately replace you after these first four years. You can take it or you can leave it because if you don't take it, it's about 50 other agents waiting to sign up for the deal. And not only did he put his best friend on as his agent to be, he also brought on his old team. And that was one of the main reasons Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, was so mad at him when he uh, had that decision and decided to leave Cleveland and go to Miami, um, Dan Gibbs said, I did everything you asked. I gave you the key to the city, the key to the arena. I let you and your entourage run everything and make all the decisions, and I expected some loyalty out of you. And LeBron James basically told him, look here, I appreciate and understand everything you did and I will be forever grateful. But it's not like you gave me an opportunity because I was five foot eight and weighed 105 pounds. I was six foot eight and I was the number one pick. So I was gonna go in the NBA anyway. You ain't do me no great favors. <laughs> you picked me because I'm a hometown hero and I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, Business is business, and I'm trying to be a young black millionaire with ownership, and I'm doing what's in the best interest of LeBron James and the LeBron James brand. And we've seen him do that when he left Cleveland, went to Miami. When he left Miami, he came back to Cleveland. Won him a title at that. Leveraged that and came out to uh, L.A. here, and he's been out here in L.A. uh, where we are now. Won won a title out here, too. He won a title (laughs) out here, but I could tell you, us being here firsthand, we get a lot more insight. But, uh, you know, he's had uh, his own little studio set up out there. He's making money eight oh, different yeah. ways out here. Oh, yeah. And uh, I ain't even mad at him, but at I would all. say that. Uh, the and he's Lakers, part owner of a soccer team, too. Yeah, the Lakers is probably uh, on on his top list of uh, ten priorities. The, he, the Lakers is probably number eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's getting it. Then been in uh, four major movies yeah. and had TV series on uh, Stars, uh, HBO, um, got a lot of productions in place. He got the shop going on. He's got it, the production company uninterrupted. Yeah, did a remake of Space Jams. The brother's out here getting it, and uh, you can't be mad at him. But he's the epitome of what we all should be striving to try to do 
in the sports industry. And, and, and that's what we're talking about today. We don't own and control the industries that we dominate, and we're giving you a few examples of those that are setting the example and giving us blueprints of how we can go about getting more of a hold on trying to own and breaking ourselves into it so that we can get a share. Man, is that my phone chiming like that? <laughs> yeah, a, go ahead and flick that switch on the side. How do I do this, man? I, you know what? But uh, how do you? I have a question for you. How do you feel about Magic Johnson? Um, I think Magic Johnson um, has been a, a great example of. Uh, yeah, I gotta have you. Yeah, I got you. Off. I apologize for that chiming back there. Can y'all hear how much my phone going off? This is all day, every day. Busy man. Eight days a week, twenty five hours a day. <laughs> he's not lying he got, we gotta take a photo and post it in the patreon he's got at least what five phones man i got four of them four yeah but uh back, so back back to magic so i think magic johnson was still ahead of his time so mm-hmm. we have to remember he came into the league in 79 80 is that when he came in came out of michigan yeah. state back around then so the uh uh, civil rights and the, the civil rights movement was like still brand new and right. equal opportunity was still there. Uh, man, what is wrong with this phone, Andre? Let me let me put it on airplane mode. What about <laughs> that? I know I, I know how to do that. Um, you know, so back in the late seventies, early eighties, Magic Johnson was one of the first NBA players that went to ownership and went to other um, mentors within the sports profession that had ownership. And he's like, hey. I want to be a businessman. I want to be a businessman. I want to learn how to make this extend beyond my playing years. Right. I want to get into owning businesses. I want to get into possibly looking at owning a sports franchise. Um, can I meet with you um, when I'm off? When I come in your city, can we go out to lunch or dinner? Can you help show me? Um, I want to be a protege of you. So he was ahead of his times. Back then in the 70s and 80s, they was damn near still whipping black folks with whips. So he didn't have the leverage and he couldn't have the kind of tongue that LeBron and Diddy and, uh, you know, the Jay-Z's have of today in the uh, new millennium. But he was still ahead of his time. And 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 I think that um, should be – uh, admired a whole lot too for what he was doing back then because he was one of the first ones back then to say it's more than just sports for me. Mm-hmm. I want to be in. I want to be in the show, but I also want to figure out how to own the show. And of course, we know he got started with a uh, Fat Burger. Then he Fridays. parlayed parlay that into Fridays. Parlayed that to uh, the uh, movie theater. Yeah. Uh, then he got into the Starbucks things. Mm-hmm. Eventually got ownership with uh, the uh, Dodgers. Remember, yep. he had ownership in the Dodgers. So Magic the is, Kings too, right? Yeah, the Kings yep. also. Absolutely, yeah. So Magic Johnson has done a whole lot of uh, things as well. And uh, um, I don't even – I think I might have told you uh, this here, but uh, the uh, his uh, whole uh, leadership team over there – they tried to bring me in to be a part of his uh, Magic Johnson Foundation. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I went over and uh, went over there. What's the uh, spot over there in uh, um, where's the Lakers used to live? What's the hills? Oh, Baldwin Hills. Baldwin Hills. Yeah, went over to a meeting over in Baldwin Hills. Uh, talked to his team. Um, he has a um, a lady over there that kind of run everything. I believe that started. I was watching a documentary on her and. She started, I think she's her 
she's his current CFO, but I think she yeah. started as his personal assistant back yeah. when he first right, was exactly, fresh in yeah. the business. And I didn't meet with her directly. I met with someone who reports directly yeah. to her, but they wanted to bring me in. But then the pitch was, hey, he already has his team in place yeah. and he believes in family. So it doesn't matter how inefficient everything run. His family, they gonna stay in those roles, and you have yeah. to work with that. And um, I was like, "That's not for me." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I humbly bow out. Yeah, but thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but Magic is uh definitely a, a man that uh kind of uh, got the ball rolling and was one of the very first athletes to be looking beyond just being happy, um, being on the team and being an athlete. All right, so I think we covered enough for the sports section. Let's go ahead and move it along to the fashion segment. Man, would you say we dominate the fashion segment? I would not say that we dominate it from an ownership perspective. No, not from an ownership. But I would definitely say we dominate it from a performance perspective. Style. Style. Trends. Everything. The way people walk, the way people dress, the way people talk, the way people do their hair. I mean, we, we got Kanye West. Kanye West is the leader of fashion to my knowledge Virgil Abloh rest in peace mm-hmm. you know another fashion icon and you have a uh, uh, brother da- from uh New York Damon Johns not he, we yeah but not him um older cat I can't remember if he was in Brooklyn but he ended up working with Gucci and now I think he works with the Gap uh ball head guy real real uh real well known if i said his name you'd know who i'm talking about yeah i'm not sure that doesn't ring a bell with me now but i think he's not ringing a bell with me now because i have uh uh damon johns and diddy at the forefront of my thought because uh damon um started the fubu the forest bias and then of course diddy uh, had the Sean john um and now we got uh what what is kanye's brand Yeezy? Yeezy, okay, yeah. So we have those brothers in fashion. And if I'm not mistaken, Kanye West doesn't own Adidas, obviously, but I think he has full ownership of the Yeezy brand under the umbrella of right, Adidas. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but those are three, definitely three examples of how... Dapper Dan was the other guy I was thinking oh, of. Oh, Dapper Dan. Yeah, Dapper oh, Dan. Man, you went old school, man. Well, Dapper Dan been around. <laughs> he he's uh, He was with... Uh, Gucci, when Gucci had the whole situation, everybody was like, we canceling Gucci. So they went and hired Dapper Dan. Now, um, I was walking through, I want to say, Cerritos Mall not too long ago, and I seen a picture of him being, like, the head mm-hmm. fashion guy at Gap now. So gotcha. he's, he, he's still out there. He's like the brand ambassador still? I wouldn't even say brand ambassador. It's more so, like, the go-to head of the department putting okay, outfits and gotcha, stuff together type gotcha, of idea, okay. he's still a brains yeah he's still he's still active and in, in this in these streets and in the industry well known now you know so like all the industries we've talked about so far where we dominate mm-hmm. but we don't have any ownership it's this here fashion one that um bothers me the most yeah because no matter where i go no matter what airport I walk in. <laughs> I know where you're going with this one. I'm tired of seeing all these black folks with this Louis Vuitton and Gucci from the head down to the socks. Right. I mean, it's, it's sickening. And still to this day, 
even though we are so woke and we're so conscious and we're for the culture and we want to get ownership and we want to seat at the table and we want all our equity, when it comes down to it, down at the individual level, black folks are still out here willing to drown their mom in a puddle of spit to get them some Gucci or some Louis Vuitton foolishness. And I, I just don't get it. The unfortunate part about it is it's not even that a lot of these purchases are made from a place of I like the way that looks. I like this brand because of who's behind it. A lot of it is more so associated with the idea of what this brand does for who I am as a person. Meaning if you see me walk in here with Louis Vuitton, it is assumed in, in a lot of people's heads that you come from a wealthy background. But those who have money see that and they're like, you ain't, you broke. Uh, that, I see when I see Louis Vuitton <laughs> and I see Gucci. Yeah, it turns me off just like I see anyone riding around in a Bentley mm-hmm. or Rolls Royce, even a Benz, a Range Rover. I look at him and say, "Dumb nigga." I'm, that that's yeah. just me. Yeah, because that's understandable. <laughs> because that's just how I've been conditioned, mm-hmm. and that's what I've personally seen. Throughout my professional Well, shy. what you going to see? When, what you going to say when you see me pull up in my electric Corvette in or Hummer? Electric, in an electric Hummer? In my electric Hummer or my electric Corvette? I'm going to say, that's a damn shame. <laughs> like, man, are, you, are you fucking kidding? What is you doing with this mess? Especially if you don't have a house by the end. Oh, I was, you already know me. I'm definitely going to have a house situated. <laughs> and that, yeah, we're not doing that in that order. And that's what that's what bothers <laughs> me so much about this stuff, especially. Rolling up in the bins when they going straight to the apartment. Or the, you know, the the, the, the Louis Vuitton shades. Yeah. The, the, the visor, Louis, the like belt, the whole outfit. The yeah. t-shirt, the everything. And, and it's then, not even like the subtle parts. It's just the big, yeah. it says Louis Vuitton. Exactly. And the, Louis Vuitton. The luggage. Yeah. And then you at the counter arguing about the $30 check luggage fee. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a $3,000 bag, sir. Exactly. And then I get over to the gate and we all checking in and yeah. you over there on standby. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm like, it just doesn't reconcile. And yeah. that, that has always been uh, one of those pet peeves of mine when I see my people and all of that. Louis and Gucci. And to this very day, Andre, that's why you don't see me. I don't wear gold chains. I don't wear anything that's fancy. Anything. Yeah. I go out of my way um, of wearing name brand stuff for status. Yeah. Now, I'll qualify it and say I do wear a lot of Nike, but when I refereed college basketball, baseball, and football, Nike was the official sponsor. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of brand loyal to Nike. Right. Um when it comes to uh, me doing stuff with Sky Girl and us going to major events, like uh, today, we had to come in from uh, Oregon, but we were out in Oregon with my daughter presenting some stuff for uh, college. Mm-hmm. So Sky Girl said, you need to wear the Nautica sweatsuit, not that old gray, <laughs> dingy-ass. Not dusty, the Cheyenne special. Not trusty, <laughs> dusty. <laughs> but you know, I look like yeah. a bum on most days, but there's certain times... When the wife says no, you yeah. need to step it up and yeah. you need to dress the role. I do, you know, uh, patronize certain brands, but like I said, for the most part, I do Nike and I do Nautica. Right. That's about it. Even when it comes to uh, vehicles and stuff, if it's a Honda Accord, if it's a Ford Escort, <laughs> I'll take it. I take Sky Girls hand me downs. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm not really big on brand stuff. And so definitely when it comes to fashion, not going to catch me um, putting on a lot of fashion stuff just right. for status. But now when it's time for me to make some money, um, I could dress with the best of them. Mm-hmm. Got too many suits. Um, you know, I wear the old school name brand um, shoes that are high quality, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. But that's because I put that kind of um, attire on to go make more money. Right. Um, but I don't I definitely don't do fashion and, and status stuff so that I'm the freshest and flyest when I show up to the airport or when I get to the barbecue right. or this and that. And, I, and that's why I despise a lot of that stuff, because so many of our people. Um, believe like you said that that makes them somebody that they're really not and see i'm on the other side of the fence where i like to get fly but my idea of fly is what i like it ain't based Mm. on impressing somebody else it's more so me putting it on i look in the mirror i'm like yeah i like that if Mm. somebody else so happen to like it cool but i don't get dressed for everybody else i get dressed for me and when it comes to name brands and stuff i appreciate quality Mm. over any sort of name so i can go to nike and if i touch their shorts then I go to Old Navy and I touch their shorts. I'm like, I like how Old Navy shorts fit on me better than these Nike shorts. Mm-hmm. I won't think twice and get the Old Navy. I don't. Gotcha. I think uh, the problem, like we, like we're saying, is a lot of people buy these items because they feel as though to the outside looking in, right? It's sh- it's saying something about who they are, which it is, but it's not saying what you think it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, and that that lends a lot to that episode we doing after this one here. Oh yeah, <laughs> we gonna get there. Yeah, we gonna we gonna get there. But definitely, uh, fashion out of all the industries that we dominate but don't own, this is the one that bothers me the most. Mm-hmm. Understandably so. So let's go ahead and move to number five spot. We got television and radio, and I will start yeah. by saying shout out to my brother Tyler Perry because he. Man. Has changed again. You were talking about ownership and control. That brother owns and controls what he does. Man, can I quote what he said or, or summarize what he said? Go for it. He's like, while all these other Negroes was worried and complaining about getting a seat at the table, I was down in Atlanta building my own goddamn table. Come Man, on now. If that, ain't, if that ain't the epitome of what we talking about today. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. 1,000%, man. Got nothing but respect for the brother. Yeah, so he's he's definitely uh, come a long way. Started out doing uh, plays almost like the damn shitless. Yeah, but the brother did right with his money, scraped his coins together, learned from every uh, play he did, got better play after play after play, and eventually parlayed it. And before you know it, he put together a whole um, series. Uh, a whole television series and, mm-hmm. and, and by the time he went to Oprah and presented it to Oprah who actually went out and bought the uh, what's that uh, what's her network called Own Own Network mm-hmm. yeah so by the time he went to Oprah he didn't pitch an idea for Oprah to financially back him to do a television series he's like no I've already taken my money and I've already taken the first two damn seasons of yeah. it and I'm here to sell it to you right? because black folks don't have a product like this here on television right? and that's how he really opened up the skies and, and just took off from there but definitely uh, uh, Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey, they definitely are uh, setting the trends and they are the blueprint for what we can do if we had more ownership in television and radio. Because once you have ownership in television and radio, you control your content, 
You can control what type of uh, advertisement you use there. Um, You control what type of information you distribute to your community. And the power behind that is probably just unlimited. Mm -hmm. And then we even have uh, the Nick Cannons of the world. You know, those who are out there in Hollywood, but also creating opportunities by creating shows within the frame, within the realm of Hollywood. Now, I don't know much about Nick Cannon, and you have to educate me, Andre, because I've been salty with him. Uh-oh. What happened? So, um, I don't know how long ago. Was it just a year ago when he made some uh, uh, unsavory comments about the Jewish community, and they kicked him off of uh, <laughs> everything? Out? Yeah. Okay, so... When that first happened, um, I think Sky Girl said something to me about it, and I blew it off and said, oh, well. Mm -hmm. Um, As more traction grew and more details came out behind it, and then he came back and apologized to try to get the show back or whatever, Sky Girl brought it up to me again, and so I, I, I dove into it a little bit more and read about it. Mm-hmm. And in my readings and trying to get better educated about it to form an opinion on what I thought about it and whether or not he was being wronged, the first thing that came to my mind was, wait, hold on. I ain't never really looked at Wild and Out, but damn, the show been around for 16 years. So for 16 years he been a host, I would imagine he done made a whole lot of damn money why hasn't he done anything to get his own damn show? Or was he just happy being in the show and not owning the show? And from that perspective, that's when I was like, I really ain't got a lot of <laughs> I ain't got a lot of I ain't got a lot of compassion or empathy for him because he's been around for fifteen years and he hasn't really done anything to parlay away from just being the host of Wilding Out. So he put himself in a predicament here where he um, he got what he deserved because he let um, the folks that own and control everything um, snatch it from him, and now there's nothing he can do but beg and plead. So you uh, you have to educate me a little bit more on where I'm wrong at or, or where I'm just not getting it. So to my knowledge, Nick Cannon is the creator of Wild and Out as well as the host. Now, when we talk about ownership of Wild and Out, I'm not too sure how that's divided up or who has what percentage of what. Me but either, to my but knowledge, I say if they fired his ass. To my knowledge, <laughs> he's the decision maker over there at Wild and Out because once he was gone, all the other people that were involved with the show were like, well, we ain't doing the show no more. So Right. Now, that part I can respect. Yeah. And, um, I think uh, it was... Uh, um, I read an article where they approached uh, the DC Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? DC guy? Young Fly. Okay, that guy. Um, they approached him and asked him, would he be willing to replace Nick Cannon? He, he was, was like, like, absolutely not. He's like, hell no. Nah. Yeah. He the one that put gave me, me on. Gave me my opportunity. He gave me my opportunity when I was a nobody back in Atlanta, just uh, you know, on social media. So mm-hmm. um, there's nothing that you all can say there's no amount of money that you can ever offer me to go in and replace that man when y'all unjustly fired him. Right. So, I mean, big, big, big ups to him for that, that, that take on it. Mm -hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking at it from a bigger picture and saying, why didn't Nick Cannon do more to take ownership, at least of the content, yeah. If he didn't have if he wasn't in the position to uh uh get his own network or do whatever he needed to do to own 
a distribution platform, why didn't he own the content or have some ownership stake in it, especially when he was married to Mariah? Ain't she sitting on some stacks? <laughs> so just looking, you know, doing a little quick Google. Okay. Uh, the production company that he has, Incredible Entertainment, to my knowledge, uh, was responsible for seasons five through today. So okay. there might be some ownership on his behalf. Of so the first four the years, few. he got his traction together. Right. Built credibility, reliability. Then he set up his own production company. And then he started creating a show through, in a, what did you say, Incredible Entertainment? Incredible okay. Entertainment. All right. Let me give him a little bit of props yeah, for that. Yeah. Okay. I know he um, ain't here out here just, you know, doing okay. doing okay. crazy with his, with his money. And then to give him the benefit of the doubt, he does have a lot of kids. So I'm sure... He might be a little, I'm not going to say stretched thin, but, you know, he's got a lot of responsibility in that department, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I just wanted to bring him up as an example. But, of when, you, but when you say this is uh, also <coughs> classic of what we're talking about today where we dominate the industry. Right. But then when it comes to ownership, we only own up to so much within right, the industry. Exactly. And, and, so the distribution platform, right. like, we don't own MTV. We don't own Right, that exactly. network. We don't own the television stations. And, and from it, what I understand, he <clears> was out doing um, an interview on a, a radio show, a podcast. Yeah, so he has a podcast that was uh, available on all streaming platforms like ours. Uh, I think okay. he also has video on YouTube, and gotcha. that got some traction. But they he took expre- it off of YouTube. He expressed his personal opinions about something, something related to the, the Jewish, Jewish community. community. Absolutely. And the folks that own and control. Said not today. Wild and out said, uh-uh. <laughs> you going to learn today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Security. Right. Just imagine if we had that sort of yeah. power in the, in the black community. Exactly. exactly. A lot of these shows wouldn't be air on air no more. That's true. But <laughs> but look at all the opportunities we've kind of turned away from because we said we wanted to maintain our own independence. We didn't yeah. want to lose no authentic, authenticity. So, it doesn't matter what I say here today. It doesn't matter what I do in other interviews. It doesn't matter what you say or do. There's nobody that can come along and say they own the I Got Sense podcast At and all. say, y'all got to go. Yeah. Now, um, the they folks might kick over, us off some platforms, yeah, but we, we could get we kicked still off of Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> we could get kicked off of Apple and Google and all those things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we ain't got the kind of juice to where we could be out there trying to do a, our own damn Spotify, do we? <laughs> do Not I yet, know, at least. Do I know something? Do, do you know something? I don't know. We might have to holler at Diddy over at Revolt okay, and try yeah. to get a spot or yeah. see about Oprah, you know, go go the Tyler Perry route and be like, look, we didn't filmed all 102 yeah. episodes of yeah, the podcast. Exactly. And, that, and that, I'm, I'm just happy getting to 100 episodes here. Uh, yeah, we very, ain't at 100 yet. We, we, at, we in the by, 70s. Right? Yeah. yeah, we close by. So, not far. But uh, what I'm saying is when we get to the 100, I know typically TV shows and sitcoms, when they get to 100, they've met the qualification to be in syndication. Yeah. And so when we get this podcast here to 100 episodes, I'm going to be feeling another kind of way. And I'm not just going to be happy with doing podcast 101 and beyond yeah. without saying, no, nah, it's time to level up to yep. something else. It's Absolutely. time to do a little something Stay else. Stay tuned. Yeah, get some. I need some <laughs> equity. I need I need to talk to HBO. <laughs> get it, get us over there like your boys. Yeah, uh, I never can think of their name. Deces and Mero. Yeah, Deces, I, I think <laughs> we can do Deces and Mero's competition, man. But uh, yeah, they in a different market. Not 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 no higher, not no lower. Just a whole different 
But I would like to niche. think that if yeah. we if we had an opportunity to get on a platform like a HBO or something like that, you and I would be able to agree that hey, coming in the door, we know we are getting an opportunity and we don't have a whole bunch of leverage, but we have these performance metrics out here, and once we hit these performance metrics right here, we're going to have to come back to the table and level up because I'm not just going to go out here and make all this here content, but then you tell me you get to control whether or not the future of the podcast continues on because you didn't like something I said on my day off over on an interview over here. Right. And I just don't believe in putting myself in that predicament. And that's what the thesis of this here whole podcast is about today is owning and controlling the industries where we dominate. Yeah. And I think we have a, you know, we, we don't use clickbait and we don't use a lot of celebrities to get the millions and millions of views, but we have added value content. And at the end of the day, I think, our financial literacy and financial education platform and the information we share is still going to be around five, ten years from oh, now. Absolutely, um, and it's going to it's going to uh, withstand all the other you know uh, uh, one hit wonders that are out there because they're more powerful. I mean, they're more popular and they have more notoriety. Mm-hmm. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. On the topic of ownership and control within Hollywood. I mean, a lot of people from the culture have an opinion about him. I look yeah. at him as a role model, but I'd say The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. He's a part owner of the XFL. Yeah. Like many other celebrities, owns his own uh, tequila company. I think, I think he's got he's his own very, video production company. Very smart, but yeah. I think his approach and his uh, blueprint is a tad bit different because yeah. of his – uh, notoriety Absolutely. and the route that he's taking. So he has hundreds of millions of dollars behind him and all kinds of backings from past performances and the mm-hmm. success that he's had, not only with uh, Kevin Hart, but just in general, um, going to the University of Miami and parlaying a failed uh, college football career into a movie career. Well, so do he- we skip the whole wrestling career? Man, it was man. wrestling all the way up before well, before dad, the movie career. His dad, <laughs> his yeah, dad, yeah, he part. He didn't really do a whole lot in wrestling, did he? Was he big in wrestling? The Rock? Where you think The Rock came from? Well, I know he was a wrestler, <laughs> but I thought he was only in that for maybe three years. No, The Rock is an icon in wrestling. He's a legend. So he's he, more popular than his dad. So he did that for more than three yeah. years. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like that's why The yeah. Rock is The Rock. It was. Okay. It was, he ain't just Dwayne Johnson. He The Rock. Okay. I mean, I know. I know he was a wrestler. And yeah, he yeah. He's a dad, wrestler, <laughs> and he followed in his dad's footsteps. Yeah. But I thought it was like he went over to do the wrestling thing, and because he was so popular so fast, it opened up doors, and then he abandoned the wrestling and then jumped into the movies. I didn't know he built it was it was like that, but he was in wrestling for years. Oh, I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't know it that. was years. Like his first movie had to be around the Scorpion King, like the Mummy Returns, and those. That yeah. was like mid two thousands, two thousand six or seven. And he had already been wrestling since early 90s. I ain't never even heard of uh, Scorpion King. I'm sure you have. You've seen it. Like The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. You don't remember those? No, I don't look at sci-fi stuff like that. And like I said, I tell you all the time that from... 
That is 19, right. Yeah. From 1991. <laughs> so, so from basically before I was on this earth till yeah, from today. From 1991 up until maybe 2018. Yeah. Man, I've been out there on the grind in the books learning how to yeah, perfect as my you craft should. and make more money. And like I said, my whole world as far as entertainment and knowing what's going on out there, it kind of stopped with Eric B. and Rakim. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as far as wrestling, it was Dusty Rhodes, superstar Billy Graham. Well, that's understandable, too, because <laughs> yeah. wrestling is typically like a younger kid's yeah. type of ordeal, unless yeah. you just stick with it throughout adulthood. Yeah, I know. When The Rock came, when he became prominent, mm-hmm. and I basically uh, briefly looked at him, I thought that, okay, his dad was a superstar in the 70s. His dad, his uncle, uh, his uh, Jimmy Superfly. And then his grandmother, I think. Was, she, uh, she had was a, a wrestling. promoter or yep. something, mm-hmm. yeah. And because of all of that, he migrated towards that. Um, but because he was so popular uh, going to the University of Miami and then his getting injured and not. Yeah, because he played under Warren Sapp, right? I'm not even sure. Yeah, I just he played under Warren Sapp. He got hurt. In, at he got hurt and Warren Sapp took his role and Warren Sapp went to the league. He was killing yeah. it. Okay. And then you. he kind of sat on the bench and then was trying to go play pro football. In the yeah. Canadian League, but got an offer, didn't end up going, end up going into wrestling, and then that was the rest. The rest is history. See, I thought he just, I thought he was in uh, wrestling for just a hot minute, and because of his background with his dad and everything, he blew up. And then when he blew up, he parlayed that over into the act. And I didn't know he had a actual. Yeah, the Rock is one of the greatest wrestlers of okay. all time. He up there with Stone Cold, Undertaker. I don't know none of them. For, I know See, Andre the Giant. Andre the so you know the Big Show. The big show is like the new age Andre the Giant. No. Yeah, see, these are like my generation. I no, do I know Andre the Giant though. Andre the Giant, uh, Iron Sheik. I know the Iron Rocky Sheik. Johnson, which is his dad. Uh, um, I know. I I used to eat at Abdullah the Butcher um, barbecue spot. Do you know Ric Flair? Yeah. Yeah, Ric Flair's a legend, icon. Yeah, the Nature Boy. Yeah, Nature. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the Nature Boy, but the Nature Boy. His main rival was Dusty Rose. Yeah, I remember Dusty Rose. Yeah, so. you know Mankind or Mick Foley? No. I okay, don't you know, know Kane, Kane no, and the Undertaker. I know Sweet Brown Sugar. I know that's a wrestler. I know wrestling number one and wrestling number two. You know Rikishi? No. Oh man, the famouser. No. <laughs> no, I don't know none of them folks, man. So I uh, yeah, know. I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. If y'all couldn't tell, so you got rock my favorite wrestler. You got, so for twenty five years, I was off the radar, man. I didn't keep up with music like that. I didn't keep up with TV. I was you know out there trying to be the best um, public accountant I could be. You was you was being the rock in your own industry. Yeah, that's what there I was trying there. to do. So you have to forgive me. So. No, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, the rock is. Uh, there's only like a handful of people I want to meet. Yeah, that are like celebrity status in the rock. So have you met him in person? I have not. Okay, I have not. Not yet, at least. How tall is he? I want to say I think he's like six eight. So I'm six Ooh, five. The rock is six eight. Maybe six seven, six eight. Okay. He's a tall guy and he's big, obviously. Okay. But um, I'm sure if I seen him in public, I wouldn't miss gotcha, him. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So he bigger than Savy D, huh? He bigger than both Savy D and me put together. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, in Hollywood though, uh, that's a that's a cold game because uh, out here, you know, the black celebrities, 
they mingle amongst us. They, yeah. You know, it ain't like everybody outside of L.A. don't really know, but the black celebrities that you see on television and film every day, they in Ladera Park and yep. they in Carson. And they, they in their neighborhoods. Elsa Gundo right in the neighborhood sitting right next to us. Uh, I tell my partners all the time that I see, uh, what's her name from um, Blackish, Joan. Oh, I don't know her name. Is it Felicia? Uh, not Felicia no, Rashad. The uh, Donna Ross is. Uh, oh, uh, Tracy, Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah, yeah, you can see Tracy Ellis a lot right there mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Ladera Heights uh, area. You can see uh, Marla Gibbs at one point. She's a lot That's older. That's the mom now. on there. Yeah, from yeah. the Jeffersons. You can see her. Shit, you go down anywhere where uh, Magic Johnson Theater yeah. is, the Ladera Heights area. See them quite a bit. Um, the. Uh, Sister from uh, Soul Food. Which uh, one? The little bird. I seen Nia Long. Nia, well, I was yeah, you, I was uh, Runyon Canyon and I seen Nia Long yeah, pushing see, her kids and her husband. Not, yeah, you see them. She all. wasn't pushing her kid and her husband right. in the stroller, but they were pushing their kids. And, and even down and in San Pedro, you see a lot of you know celebrities mm-hmm. down there. And well, uh, shoot, you was living up the street from Rihanna's well, spot. Well, it was. <laughs> It might have been up the street and hit a right and then a left and then another right. Yeah, 12 12 (laughs) minutes to get up the hill a little bit and make a left and make a right and get down in that secluded area. But, yeah, but out here we have more access. So we're not in awe of the uh, Hollywood celebrities, the black Hollywood celebrities. And they will tell you that working in Hollywood, it's a struggle. It's 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 just just as bad as anywhere else where they just going from audition to audition and – it might be 15 of them. Well, on the topic of control and ownership, how do you feel about Will Smith? That's also another person that I'd love to meet one day. Um, I have mixed feelings about Will Smith, and I only have mixed feelings about Will Smith because... Don't tell me because of the Grammys. No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see the Grammys. I know he slapped Chris Rock. Chris Rock, but Chris <laughs> Rock is a little dude. I done mm. seen Chris Rock in, per- in person, yeah. and me personally... I think it was all staged, but yeah. I don't know enough about it. I saw it on uh, social media. But, but that's not the reason why you don't yeah, feel, no, you feel the, the way about it. The way Will. I feel about Will Smith is because I personally um, listened to a conversation from D.L. Hughley. Mm-hmm. He wasn't talking directly to me. I was in the room, ear hustling, if you mm. want to call it. But okay. I'm standing there. The conversation is going on. He was telling a story about um, when the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was going on, he was uh, what is the guy called that comes out and warm up the crowd? So the, tip- the host or the hype man, basically. Yeah, he was kind of like a hype. Will man. Smith so, was the hype man. No, DL Hughley. DL was the hype man. So before they would start filming mm-hmm. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, he would come out and be like the opening act gotcha. because they do it in front of a live crowd. Right. Tell jokes, get everybody in the laughing mood so that by the time the show um, starts taping, yeah. the crowd is warmed up. They ready to laugh. Got you. And so uh, long story short, D.L. Hughley was basically saying how he don't really uh, fuck with Will because ultimately Will Smith fired him because they told D.L. he was too funny. Mm. So there's a lot of that that goes on out here yeah. also where – DL would come out and they was like, okay, just get them warmed up, but you too good. We need you to scale it back. And he's like, as an artist, how can I scale it back? That right. ain't, you know, that ain't how it goes. And ultimately, um, Will basically said, you got to go because you're still in the shine. 
being too funny. Now, that's only his version. Yeah, because I remember D.L. Hughley being on the show as a special guest. I don't remember. Like he had a role on an episode of The Fresh Prince. Uh, Well, this is, should I tell you this here, Andre? I don't know. Is it is it good for the pod or is it an off air conversation? It's, it's not good for the pod. Okay, then we can, we can good. table it. Well, no, I, don't, I don't mind mentioning it though. It's not good for the culture and Sky Girl um, beats me up about it a lot. But out of all the stuff that I like on television, I really never watched a lot of black television shows. Okay. So my favorite television show is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay, so that's why <laughs> he said it's that, not good for the culture. Yeah, after I, I'm that, on the edge of my seat like, oh, shoot, what are you about to say? He so said I, like, I don't watch a lot of black coat. I like black Curb shows. Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. I like Seinfeld. You like The Office? I love The Office. I love The Office, too. I like... Uh, but I also love Martin. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is one of my favorite shows. Jamie Foxx show is my favorite show. Nah, I like... No? Uh, no, I like uh, Big Bang Theory. I've watched an episode or two. Young Sheldon. And well, which so, show are we talking about? Entourage. I love the Entourage. Entourage. Oh, man. Yeah. Entourage, yeah. So when when you look at my body of work and my preferences... yeah. Uh, the black sitcoms, which is which is funny you mention that because you love stand up comedy, but you've not watched their shows. I don't, I can't explain it. I love comedy. I love stand up comedy as well. I love stand up comedy, and I support all black. Yeah, comedians. you absolutely do. Uh, a list all the way down to Z list. Mm-hmm. I go support them all, literally. Um, <laughs> but uh, when it comes to the sitcoms, the storylines are the same. I got you, and it's kind of like. Kind of like what I've always told my kids. It ain't nothing that I can learn from four dudes standing on the corner. Yeah. I have been there and yeah. I have done that. Got so you. typically when I look at black sitcoms, I don't see anything. That you haven't experienced that or I already seen. Or, yeah. yeah, It's not really entertainment for me. And I really used to despise um, good times. And yeah, I, used I, to never, de- like, I despise good times yeah. and I despise the Jeffersons. Good times because that was a bunch of Negroes that could never get out of the ghetto. <laughs> right. James loses fucking job every episode. Yeah. And then they get overly excited like somebody just hit the lottery when they make Kool-Aid for dinner. Yeah. I'm like, this shit ain't for me. <laughs> and, the, and the dad was just the only one really working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, on the Jeffersons, the one black dude that finally make it, now he loud and obnoxious and just... To a point where he's overbearing and ignorant. Yeah. And so it's, it feeds to all the stereotypes. Yeah. So I guess that's why I never. And in really the good time, uh, not good times, but um, different strokes. Then you had a, the rich white man saving the black kids. I never really watched that one. With Gary Coleman? What you talking about, Willis? I know of it, but yeah. I never that's really That's like the general it. consensus. Yeah. But I, I watched the good times and the Jeffersons because uh, that was just the shows to watch back during right. the time. Right. That was, was all that was up. on that was black TV back and then. And then I uh, tried the uh, Cosby show. I like um, the Cosby show. I did like the Cosby show. I didn't really care for it. What's um, your reason and why? I personally just, at the time, I had not been exposed enough. Gotcha. So I didn't think that it was realistic that the the wife was a lawyer, the husband was a doctor. Whose and office it, was in his basement at and that. And his office was in his basement. <laughs> and then, you know, with uh, Lisa Bonet and what's the oldest sister name? I can't remember her name, but I know you're talking about. Yeah, just over the top. At the time, mm-hmm. 
at the time. Yeah, because they, they, they not over the top at all in today's world. But I'm world. talking about as but far as the, uppity, yeah. bougie, snooty, silver spoon in the mouth. And the irony of all of that is that's my fucking kid. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You would like the Cosby show. That's yeah, like your life. My life is kind of like the Cosby show, but that's 2000. Seven going forward. Yeah. Up to that point, it wasn't realistic right. to me, but uh, the irony is that that turned into how my kids kind of grew up and came about like that. So I never really, I, I like stuff that is witty mm-hmm. and I like stuff that is, uh, uh, I don't know what's the best way to describe it. Definitely witty, but I like the things that have uh, cerebral. And intellect behind the comedy. Got you. Because even when you when you talk about me liking live comedy, um, you know the uh, Martin Lawrence's, the Eddie Murphys, the ones that have a lot of vulgarity, a lot of cussing, and a lot of sexual innuendo. They're not funny to me. Yeah, you would probably really appreciate like Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, yeah. even uh, uh, Cat Williams. Cat Williams. I feel like Cat Williams is if if when you talk about what you just mentioned as far as cussing a lot, he'd be like on the border, but you'd be cracking up at what right, yeah, because it's a lot of it's layers to the joke, right? It's not exactly. Just the cursing Chris Rock, it. Chris Rock for sure. Uh, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Alonzo Bolton. Oh yeah, that very, brother was. Very, I was surprised. Very witty, very smart, and there's a lot of intellect and layers yeah. behind his jokes. It ain't just. You know how he controlled that room out yeah. in Vegas during that. Yeah, man. exactly. Yeah, but it ain't just a whole lot of you come out and you talking about kind of like the opening act that we yeah. had. He come out and all he really got is just you know vulgar. Mm-hmm. So that that's not really funny to me. And so a lot of not saying that the black sitcoms are um, vulgar. Or anything are vulgar. Like that. It's just that there's no layers to it. It's the same storylines, yeah. no matter which. Um, sitcom it is so. What about a, a different world Um, I thought that was uh, Okay I watched that way more than the Cosby show Got you um, But um, What about Everybody Hates Chris I like that show Yeah But I only like that show because of Savvy D Got you He used to watch it a lot He used to watch it a lot And I never paid any attention And me and him had a conversation about it And he basically explained to me that the show is about how Chris Rock is based on his uh, childhood and how he grew up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. and how he used to get bullied and everything. And he used comedy as a way to survive and make it the way he is today. So once Savvy D explained to me the storyline, I'm like, that's pretty interesting. Because now you're going back and getting a a, a microscope into his childhood. And I done seen him in live comedy shows about seven, seven, eight times. Yeah, right. And so that's when I went back and started watching him. That's fair. See how I lit up once we start talking about comedy. I love comedy. But but the thing (laughs) is, we talking about all this comedy, but in all of this here, nobody really owns anything. Absolutely, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. what I like a lot about Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle more so. He yes. owns a lot of his content. Mm-hmm. But Chris Rock, Chris, Chris Rock did a smart thing because if you notice, he paired up and partnered up with other white comedians. Yeah. He didn't go the route and he don't hang with. But as you can see, quote, who's the more popular comedians it's those who decided to diversify their audience that's why a lot of comedians are like well kevin hart's not that funny but what did kevin hart do 
he got out there and yeah. diversified his audience like crazy. Now he's known he's as a like crossover. a comedic yeah, rock star. He, yeah, like he's super a crossover, popular. yeah. Chris Rock crossover. Dave um, Chappelle. Yeah, absolutely. And Martin Lawrence uh, did a little bit of crossover yeah. too, so. Well, I, I know I brought, we started diving into comedy from Will Smith, but uh, I I would say knowing what you know, if you haven't heard, this is free marketing, I guess. His book was really good. Cool. It gave Will Smith. I never read it. It was book. really good. I'd suggest getting an audio book and just listening to it if you got some downtime. But it 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 it, it shed a perspective on Will Smith that I was never aware of. Okay. I know he's my age. We're the same mm-hmm. age. Yeah. Um, yep. but like I said, um I never thought his music was hot. I really didn't listen to music yeah. during that period because I was trying to find my own self and then when I personally heard Dia Hughley talk about how you know, he fired him from his show because he was too funny. Yeah. I uh, took a personal offense <laughs> to it. So that's why I say I kind of feel that way. So Yeah, that's understandable. Um, but now I, I do do want to uh, jump over and talk about the whole, and we talked about this before, about uh, Monique's beef. Yeah. With uh, Tyler Perry, Oprah, and um, what's the other guy's name? Was it? It was Tyler uh, Charlemagne. No, the producer. So it's Tyler, Oprah, and what's the uh, the one who produced the uh, producer in film? The big time. For, she said it's three people that ruined her career. It was Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, and the the guy that produced uh, the 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 show the movie the movie that she didn't want to go um, promote. What movie was that? Oh, um, Precious. The producer of Precious. Yeah, who's the producer of Precious? It's not big, who. It's not a big time producer. Got a lot of juice in Hollywood. Is it the same guy who made Think Like a Man and I don't Ride know. Along? Lee, uh, Lee, Lee Daniels? Daniels. No, yeah. not never mind. Not Lee. Lee Daniels. Da- yeah, Lee but Daniels. Lee Daniels is the person you're talking. Yeah. About. So she said those are the three people that blackballed her because mm. she didn't want to promote Precious. Mm. And the whole thing with Precious was was that she it was an independent film. No one expected it to blow up, kind of like Friday. Yeah. And so she agreed to her contract, and I think her contract was around fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. The show, t- the movie turned out to be a phenomenon, made hundreds of millions of dollars. And so when they were trying to uh, expand it over into the European market, they asked her to come promote it. And she turned it into, I need to be paid, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's the same the same storyline as why you have uh, uh, Chris Tucker um, saying, I'll never do another Friday's movie. Because when you took the contract, yeah. you were starving for work and you took the contract job for 20000 And now you big time, rush hour one, two, and three. Yeah, and, but, but yeah. Friday went on to make hundreds of millions of dollars and you felt that they should have came back and gave you more. And that's kind of like the approach that Monique took. So she asked the black the black community to basically boycott mm. <laughs> boycott Netflix and everybody. Which, tr- truth be told, I can understand both sides of that. But I think I as can't. I think as the artist, you have to know, you have to have an awareness for moments. And what I mean by that is as the actress, actor in that scenario, when the moment is greater than you, you have to show up for that moment because that showing up in that moment can propel you forward. Mm-hmm. And the moment even further than what it is. So, like, 
that was a great opportunity for her, no different than Chris Tucker with Friday, to show up for the fans and build that camaraderie and do all the interviews and you know everybody loves you. You didn't I get paid for it, I but then Chris, you're going yeah. to turn around and have like Hollywood at your feet. Yeah, Chris, Chris parlayed. <laughs> he his, did parlay. His role he did parlay from Friday. Yeah. But Monique, uh, on the other hand, Monique, on the other hand, instead of her parlaying it, what she did is she tried to take the wokeness and the yeah. blackness and like, hey, let's make this here about race and you ain't treat me the same as you would treat Amy Schumer and all. I'm like, yeah. no, no, that ain't how it works, Monique. Right. And you signed the contract and, you know, I'm a contracts guy. Yeah. So <laughs> if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. And now, on the other hand, like you said, could they have thrown her a bone and said, hey, we're going to take care of this, we're going to take care of that, we're going to make sure you get paid and eat a little bit more um, than your contract called for? I think they could have done that. But uh, to be honest, I think mostly um, um, a lot of her um, uh, conflict came from her deciding for her husband to be her manager yeah. and him taking this approach and trying to parlay and leverage and get her more money, but it backfired right. because you didn't have enough juice or you waited too long because when you were hot, mm-hmm. that's when you should have been doing it. Right. Not 10, 12 years after you done fell off and a whole new generation done came behind you. And now you showing up talking about you one of the original queens of comedies and the way the world works nowadays is what have you done for me lately? I don't give a damn about what you've done yesterday. And even 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 in the world of comedy being one of the greats, you feel as though you're being lowball. Well, use that as motivation. Show them. Yeah. Oh, you don't think I? Huh. You don't think I'm Amy Schumer? Okay. Exactly. Give yeah. me that contract. I sign it. We'll be back though to negotiate mm-hmm. ten more deals, and it's going to be twenty times more. Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. like take that route. It's yeah, my exactly, opinion. Yeah. I'm not in her shoes, but that's but just I mean the that's that that's kind of like I, I I felt myself. And but like the whole topic today was about uh, yeah ownership and control. But I mean, but we but I'm gonna tie it back together here. We don't we dominate, but we don't own and control. And we see that now, and it's so prevalent with the social media. Yeah, because which is number seven, by the way. On because our list. when we had COVID come along, the very celebrities from our culture to A-list mainstreams, the ones that were too good for Facebook, the ones that didn't want nothing to do with Twitter and Instagram, when that COVID came along and everything got shut down, they basically came in and took over all the social media platforms. And I'm saying all this here to say that that gave us all the evidence in the world of how powerful social media is. And I'm still shocked to this day that we as a culture, we are not doing anything to build our own social media platforms. We're complaining that Mark Zuckerberg and, uh, you know, TikTok, and they kicked us off and they banned us. We complaining about all this here stupid stuff. I'm like, when are we going to get the damn memo and go build our own because when you look at the popularity of social media and who makes it so popular, it goes back to we dominate it. Well, I think it's one of those things of uh, the best contrast that I could make here would be like the fashion industry and Louis Vuitton, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok are the Louis Vuitton of social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my knowledge, there are a few platforms out there that are black owned and are social networks. However, no different than Louis Vuitton compared to 
your boy who's been studying fashion for years, went to fashion school, is trying to get his fashion brand launched, is asking you to wear his clothes for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, you rather go and spend a thousand dollars on some Louis Vuitton. I think that's the same contrast that we have when it comes to using these black owned yeah. social media mm-hmm. platforms. You know, it's oh, it's not hot. Ain't nobody over there. Ain't nobody doing that. Or I don't, you know, that type of right, deal. Yeah. So yeah, that, and that that reminds me of uh, I saw a clip on a a YouTube clip where they said, uh, "What's the young girl name now?" Um, Tiffany Haddish. Mm-hmm. She was checking somebody on the red carpet, and I oh, clicked yeah, on yeah. it. And the whole check was she was bragging about I'm wearing this. And well, because the lady that. said, uh, "What yeah. costume are you wearing?" Yeah, so they, she was offended because she called it costume. She's yeah, like, I was turned off by that. Yeah. But that, that went back to us putting so much value um, and looking up to these here name brands and these status things. And, well, I uh, think on that Tiffany Haddish one, I think the, the reason why she did that was because the lady approached her and didn't approach anybody else and say, what are you wearing? She said, what costume are you in? Like she was a character. So she mm-hmm. took offense to it like with, yeah, Costume, I understand. Yeah, you yeah, I understand that, but yeah. but I think that ties back. But the flex was like, "Well, I'm wearing blah blah blah." But blah, I think blah, blah. that ties back to us as a race of people. We're still so sensitive and we so conscious about things that don't matter. Yeah. And so in that instance, she's like, "Why am I the only one? You come and asking about it and getting offensive and making it more so about race. Yeah. Instead of looking at the bigger picture." You know, that, that that's kind of like where I'm always focused at. I, I don't have time to be concerned about whether or not you are meant to offend me or undermine me or whatever. I'm comfortable with who I am, you know, and, I, and I've been dealing with that ever since I got out here to L.A. with my country accent. A lot of blacks out here, they try to diminish who I am and undermine me when mm-hmm. I say, I'm a licensed investment advisor. I'm a CPA, and oh, I can detect that. Where are you from, Mississippi? <laughs> and you know, man, you gotta upgrade them tires on your truck. I'm like, no, I'm good. Right, I'm good because I got <laughs> I got fourteen thousand dollars of discretionary money to spend every month. Right, and I can jet and fly back and forth, and I live in three different states. So no, I ain't concerned about no goddamn tires on my truck. And <laughs> so you got the show, I never show. get offended and and and. Buy <laughs> on that type of stuff and I think I hold everyone else in that same, same regard yeah. and regard saying that we gotta get our mindset to where we're focused on the bigger picture right. and being the owner of the show instead of constantly getting sucked into just being in the show it's kind of like as a child, you're taught those sayings. I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounces off. Right, and exactly. Back on you yeah. type of a deal. Exactly. Because I'm not going <laughs> to let you distract me from doing what I what know I need, I need to, to be doing and to what get I'm doing. To, exactly. Yeah. And so, just like we're sitting here in El Segundo, this is a, one of six different offices that I have in six different states that's at my disposal. We yeah. can do what we want, when we want, however long we want here, anytime we want to. That's more important to me than worried about me looking good when I walk outside and me um, impressing everybody when I pull up and all that stuff. That doesn't matter. Having the ownership, having the leverage to say I control these resources and I can use them to benefit and further what I'm already doing, that's more important than me. And I think that's uh, what I wanted to get out of this podcast today of us 
um, you know, dominating, but mm-hmm. not really controlling and owning. Yeah. I'm more so of how do we get a mindset to where we're all collectively trying to move towards controlling and owning everything that we dominate, whether it's uh, the food industry, the music industry, um, sports, fashion, television, and radio out here in Hollywood. We have so many damn resources available to us for us to collectively be doing a lot and building our own ownership and carving out our own peace. But we all still just kind of stuck in this here mindset where everybody's uh, worried about, look at me, I'm outshining you. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> no, I think you hit the nail right on the coffin. I mean, uh, that's why you and I click so well and why I look up to you so much because I've always been the type of person who would love to have access or to know like, hey, if I want to go buy an estate that's 20 bedrooms and 20 parking mm-hmm. lots, I can. Do right. I want to to impress somebody else? No. But the fact that I have access or the means to do so, yes. Right. I mean, I didn't start my video production company because... I wanted a company. I applied to 30 jobs and realized none of them got got back to me. And out of the 30, 25 said no. You went and created your own job. Went and created your own job. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, ownership, y'all, is the the premise of today's show. And when you look at all the other races, excuse me, let me. Uh, yep, yep. But yeah, if you if if you guys uh, go, go for no, it. well, I'm saying if you look at all the other races as controversial as this is gonna sound, and you all gonna want to chastise me like you did Nick Cannon. When you look at the other races of people, you look at white folks. What are they good at? White folks are good at coming in and taking over, and then creating a legal situation, and then <laughs> using the law to box you out. To box you out. Yeah. They're good at. Um, politics and writing law to take from everybody else and then have ownership everything when you take a look at uh, white folks they're also great at real estate Mm -hmm. they created the whole space of real estate Um, even virtual damn real estate Um, (laughs) (laughs) when you you look at the entertainment industry that we've talked about today the Jewish community they own and dominate that because they most of these movies in Hollywood and everything the bank's not financing them it's the Jewish community they Mm -hmm. have their own system of financing to get those hundreds of millions of dollars to do these movies and everything and that's why when you see a mainstream movie that's um, uh, headlined by Amy Schumer they're willing to put a 300 million dollar budget together for that or even an Adam Sandler movie Yeah, but if Monique comes along you getting 10 million and you need to be finished in 30 days (laughs) and so but that's because they own and control Hollywood. Yeah. They control all the dollars and everything. When you look at uh, beauty supply and nail salons, Asian, look at the Asian, Asian community. Own. because we And there's a meme that's been going around for about five years now. There's like, it's not that the hood is broke. It's just that the black people in the hood won't build businesses themselves there yeah. because if the hood was broke, Asian folks wouldn't come there and set up all these beauty Chicken beauty supply shops, shops, beauty supply nail shops. salon shops. Um, the uh, Latinos wouldn't come there and set up all the taco stands. You feel me? Um, the uh, the uh, Arabic community wouldn't come there and open up all the damn convenience stores. There's tons of money in the fucking hood. Yeah. It's just that do we have Magic the resources? Magic Johnson was one that got Starbucks in the hood. Yeah, absolutely. But And we all want to <laughs> sit around and start talking about where the banks won't give us loan. The banks ain't giving no damn body a loan to start a business yeah the 
the people that come start the businesses, the other races and ethnicities, ethnicities that start the business, they get all their money and financing from family and friends, and they come in and they set one up, they perfect it, they all work there, they don't take paychecks, and then they build it up till they get to a point where they can open up the second one, and they just snowball it from there. Right. And we're talking about all these different races of people that understand that this is an industry that I'm good at. This is an industry that I dominated. I'm going to own it too. Mm -hmm. That's the part that we're missing. Even when you look at the casinos and stuff, um, the Native Americans, they said, hey, the white man, y'all came here and raped and pillaged from us and took everything. We want our reparations. They cut out a good deal for them to get these damn casinos. Yeah. So every race of people and every ethnicity has something that they own and control, and we really don't. And we dominate in a whole bunch of the all these industries we talked about today. We dominate them. We're the best at it. We're very creative. We've been oppressed so much, we've naturally learned how to make a dollar out of 15 cents, and we go out and we create all that content, but we're doing it as employees and being in the show, and we're not doing enough to transition and own some of these industries we dominate and control. It's facts. Are we getting too deep? Nah, I, I, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 and this all goes back to uh, money and finances because we started out talking about us naturally wanting to complain about the wealth gap mm -hmm. and how slavery is the reason why there's such a huge wealth gap between blacks and whites. Well, like I said, if we all took what we already had and use that to leverage it to start taking some of the ownership into the industries that we dominate, just like we've talked about. We've mentioned Master P. Master P has done it. Dre has done it. LeBron James has done it. We got Damon Johns, Diddy, Kanye, Oprah, Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry. Um, not, not a whole bunch of folks, but they've demonstrated that it can be done. And I think the ultimate example that we have is Barack Obama. And for those who want to say, well, he half black, who gives a damn? Yeah. The man demonstrated that if you are smart enough and you are disciplined enough and you put a strategic plan together, you can go out and learn the rules and beat the folks that wrote the rules at their own damn game and become president of the United States. Right. And so that's what he done for us. He gave us a goddamn example. Yeah. Of if you put your head down and put in the goddamn work, you can get out there and you can own something and be somebody. You know, I posted a goddamn Instagram reel today and it was on that topic. For three easy payments of doing the damn work, you too mm -hmm. can create the life you want for yourself. Right, exactly. That's yeah. all it boils down to. Exactly. Shut out the noise. Go in there. Create a plan. Execute that plan. Keep your head down. Execute that plan. Put in the work. And this is where the black community is divided, though, because only half of us believe that. Well, we know, the just like we was half, talking about yeah. earlier about, you know, people that don't want to do the work got yeah. the most to say about how unfair, how right, not, yeah. you know. And then it'd be somebody in worse circumstances coming up behind them like, look, you tripping. All you have to do is do the work. And if you really did the work, you start seeing that all these resources are available. Exactly. Absolutely. And I, that's what Sky Girl and I talked about um, this weekend in uh, Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
big national conference. Beautiful state. A lot of green. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Andre. Uh, we were downtown at the Marriott on the waterfront right off the river. Mm-hmm. A very affluent area yeah. of uh, Portland. Gloomy, but. <laughs> um, let me tell you, I would say um, it had to easily be between 7,500 and 9,000 folks at the conference. Yeah. I counted six black folks there. Wow. Six. With my daughter being one of them. Yeah. And the conversation that we had after that was Sky Girl saying she really appreciate me being in her life because she understands now how the mindset can change your trajectory and how our daughter is one of the few in her family mm-hmm. that have gone down this path when everybody else has gone down another path. And Shy, that, I hate to cut you off, what's that? but we might have to pick that conversation up in the okay. next episode. We talking about the mindset. Ooh. Yeah, we we <laughs> we gonna pick it's, up right where you left off in the next people episode. Mad at me already because we done got too deep and I'm calling black folks out. Hey, we gonna do it again in the next and episode. And I admitted that I don't even like black sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> and I then mean, you followed up by saying I enjoy the office and curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> but if y'all know Cheyenne, like he he's like me in a sense of like really loving stand up comedy. So it's also funny to contrast the two. But um yeah, man. Thank y'all for tuning in. We're gonna go ahead and pause here. We gave y'all a earful today, something to think about. We're definitely gonna continue this conversation next week. So come back, come prepared. You know what I'm saying? We're not just a podcast that teaches you financial literacy and how to make your money, make money for you. We teaching the finance and I'm sorry, we teaching the mindset, the finance yes. and the habits so that way your programming is correct when you go ahead and invest. Exactly, because managing your money is 80% behavior, only 20% knowledge. There it is. Yeah. Man, I like that coin over there. Come on. We holla at y'all next week. Peace. Peace out from Elsie Gundo. <laughs> <laughs>